Western Europe, 6th century. Rome has fallen. On the Empire's former frontier, the Old Order and a new barbarian world clash. One family emerges to conquer the Divide. From the Atlantic coast to the Alps, from the North Sea to the Mediterranean, they rule, until a terrible civil war fractures the dynasty. The war will rage for far longer than the English War of Roses, engulfing more territory and killing more monarchs. This war will mark the end of antiquity and the beginning of the medieval era. It begins with three weddings in quick succession, and one murder. The Merovingian dynasty flourished in the ashes of the Roman Empire. King Clovis united the Frankish tribes under one crown and later one religion after his conversion to Christianity. Upon his death, his kingdom was divided between his sons. In the ensuing scuffle for power, only one, King Clothar, survived to reunite the lands. It is then, in the spring of 567, that the Princess Brunhild, and soon after, her sister, Galswintha, of the Visigoths of Spain, marry into the Merovingian dynasty. Brunhild is promised to King Sigebert of Austrasia, a promising young man with dynastic political ambitions. Princess Galswintha is packed off to Neustria and is married to King Choperic. A worrying issue that Galswintha soon discovers is that her husband is far too enamored with one of the palace slaves, a young woman named Freudgund. But Princess, now Queen Galswintha, need not worry for long. Less than six months later, Galswintha was found dead in her bed, strangled in her sleep, and no more than three days after her death, Freudgun stood in her place at the altar, smiling up at her new husband. The era of Queen Brunhild's and Queen Freudgun's rule, when it is recognized, is a rare period in the medieval world, a time where a large swath of what is today modern-day Europe was placed under a dual female rule. They accomplished much in their reign, collaborating with foreign leaders, expanding their own kingdom's territories, and cultivating public works programs, all whilst battling the overt misogyny placed on them by their own councils and nobles. Both Queen Brunhild and Freudgund ruled for far longer than any king or Roman emperor that came before them. Brunhild was queen for 46 years, Freudgund for 29. Despite this, their names throughout history have been tarnished. In the ancient world, all roads lead to Rome, and along the way, monuments, statues, tombstones commanded, stop travelers, and read. The stones were etched with biographies and eulogies, erected so that the dead might be remembered. To be forgotten was a formal punishment for treason or tyranny. The Senate ordered statues destroyed, names struck from the public record. The face of one emperor was even scratched out from his childhood family portraits. This practice, later named the condemnation of memory, sought to erase a person from the historical record completely. This was the fate of a woman who held power. Brunhild's executioner, King Clothar II, moved quickly to obliterate and besmirch her memory. Her name and the name of her descendants were wiped from public record. Many of the crimes that her rival was accused of committing was placed at her feet. The language historians and chroniclers used to document her reign grew increasingly virulent. Her execution, a rather brutal one, went from being a politically motivated move to being something that was justified. And Freudgund, 
Clothar II's mother was washed of her ambitious, ruthless tendencies and recast as a humble wife and a devoted, subservient mother. In time, however, she would be portrayed as a Jezebel or a femme fatale, a woman who used her wiles to excise some control over the king and lure others into doing her bidding. The blame for the civil war that rocked the Frankish kingdoms for nearly half a century was placed solely on the shoulders of these two queens. Even though the kingdom and its bitter divisions and rivalries predated both queens' marriages into the dynasty, back in the medieval ages, the dynamic of power was something that was inextricably male. The president that was held for male leaders, especially those who were to be kings, required them to be supremely commanding and authoritative, characteristics that were, at the time, seen to be unbecoming of a woman. Women were meant to employ traditional feminine characteristics, that being gentleness, modesty, passivity, sensitivity, and meekness. When the Gesta Stefini would later comment on Empress Matilda's, the historical figure that inspired the creation of Rhaenyra Targaryen from House of the Dragons, rise into power, the author would criticize her for not having the modest gait and bearing proper to the gentle sex. But Matilda, much like her contemporaries, Brunhild and Freudgund, were ascending into a power that had, at least in historical memory, a role that was held and passed on to male successors. Essentially, they were trying to be a female king, a queen in a king's world. The model of power, especially political power, as it was traditionally perceived, was shaped on a masculine foundation. But as Shelley Puhock says, the misogynistic logic of patriarchy is curiously circular. Women cannot govern because they never have, but this lie rests upon a bed of induced historical amnesia, the work of numerous erasures and omissions, collectively sending the message that the women who have ruled haven't earned the right to be remembered.